Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn, and I'm a WCT certified educator, and in this podcast, I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties, and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine. Continuing the exploration of the wines of the former Yugoslavian countries, this episode focuses on Serbia. In the previous three episodes, I've looked at Slovenia, Croatia and Bosnia-Herzegovina and discussed how their climates are influenced by the Adriatic Sea for a Mediterranean climate, but then further inland they become continental. Serbia, on the other hand, is purely continental. It's a landlocked country. There are quite a few different regions moving from north to south. The plains in the north are a continuation of Hungary's Pannonian plain. Then there's the Danube in the middle, and then it becomes more mountainous as well. It's bordered by several countries, Hungary to the north, Romania and Bulgaria to the east, North Macedonia to the south, Croatia and Bosnia-Herzegovina to the west. And then there's also the disputed territory of Kosovo, which Serbia still claims as as part of its territory, but it is internationally recognised as a separate country. And of course, all these territories have been disputed over history, part of the Yugoslavian war uh, during the 1990s, in part fueled by nationalism, but also by religious differences as well. The country of Serbia has a population of 6.6 million people. It is officially called the Republic of Serbia, and that was formed in 2006. Uh, For quite a while, it was called Serbia and Montenegro, but Montenegro is its own country now, with a border to the southwest. Historically, Serbia has been ruled by the Ottoman Empire and by the Habsburgs, so Austria-Hungary. So it is part of Central Europe and its history and all those border disputes. Historically, it switched between Ottoman rule and Habsburg rule, but it did gain autonomy in 1830 from um, the Ottoman Empire and gained its formal independence in 1878. And after independence, the country did begin to expand, taking in different territories. And that is part, or one of the many reasons, for the beginning of the First World War. So we're in territory which has historically been disputed, but Serbia certainly has its own definite, very strong identity. In terms of wine, just 5% is exported. So most of it drunk locally or in neighbouring countries. So not that easy to find Serbian wine outside the country, but certainly worth exploring if you do get to discover some. There are 22,300 hectares of vineyards planted and registered in Serbia, but there are 3,000 hectares extra which are not registered. So like the other countries, particularly Croatia and Bosnia-Herzegovina, it's a very uh, fragmented industry. And in fact, industry is perhaps makes it sound a little bit more organised than it is. With all these small holding, holdings, with most under 10 hectares um, of ownings by producers, and there are 370 producers, uh, the industry is dominated by two big producers, but for the most part, it is very small holdings, very small plantings, and therefore not a completely coherent, joined-up industry, which in part accounts for why only 5% of the wines are exported. For production... White wine accounts for 65%, and so um, quite a strong majority of white wine being produced. So there are indigenous varieties found only in Serbia, 
may be found a little bit in neighbouring countries, for the most part Serbian grape varieties, but there are some international varieties planted as well. So let's look at the different regions of Serbia, which we can divide into the north, central and south of the country. To the north is Vojvodina, and this shares the continental climate with the Pannonian Plain in Hungary to the north. Two of the most important regions are Subitica and Tisa. Uh, Subitica lies directly on the border with Hungary, and Tisa a little further to the south. There's also the region of Banat, which is now found, found in Serbia, but it also crosses into Romania and Hungary. And this is actually a region which used to be solely part of Hungary. And so definite connections with Hungary in terms of culture, history, and wine production. Here we'll find Grashak, which is also called Felsch Riesling internationally. In Hungary, it's called Olash Riesling. So again, confirming that connection with Hungary and its wine tradition. And this is a great variety which produces wines which are relatively neutral in aromas, but quite fresh and approachable. There's also the three Pinot grape varieties planted in Vojvodina, uh, Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris and Pinot Blanc, which gives it a bit of a more international uh, perception. Moving further south on the Danube, so Danube being the river which flows from Romania through Serbia and into Hungary and then into Austria, there are the Frushka Gora Mountains. And this is where there's quite a bit of experimentation with natural wine, biodynamic wine, organic wine, and also the use of amphora for aging. And this is perhaps the most interesting region of um, Serbia with the mountains and therefore the influence of altitude in the generally warm continental climate, so hot summers, cool winters, and the mountains on the banks of the river just um, helping the, a longer growing season. Directly south of Belgrade is a city called Smeradevo, and this gives its name to the Smeradevka grape, which is also called Dimiat in Bulgaria. And this is the most planted grape variety um, in Serbia, producing off-dry wines, which by all accounts are pretty simple and not that exciting, but everyday drinking wines across Serbia, remembering that domestic consumption really does dominate um, in the sales of these wines. But also found here is Riesling, uh, Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon, so international grape varieties with an international appeal. There's also a couple of local grape varieties. One is called Prokopak, which um, is for red wine, and this is found in the centre and the south of Serbia, so south of Belgrade, which is right in the middle of the country. And these generally are early drinking wines, deep in colour, with red fruit aromas and high in alcohol as well, remembering that these are relatively warm climates. And Prokopak is sometimes blended with international varieties, and it also makes an unusual style of rosé, which is quite deep in colour. There's also a great variety called Morava, which is a Serbian crossing developed in the 1980s and authorized in 2003. And this is a crossing of Fruroto Veltlina and Muller Thurgau. And it apparently tastes like Sauvignon Blanc. And it is grown in Western Serbia in the region of Valjevo, which is directly south of Belgrade and not too far from the Bosnian border. Another region is Negodinska Krajina, which is on the Danube as well, on the border with Romania. And here is found Black Muscat, Muscat of Hamburg, which locally is called Tamjanica. And also found here is Cabernet Sauvignon. And there are several indigenous grape varieties grown in Serbia besides the ones already mentioned. 
There's also another great variety called Neoplanta, uh, developed in 1970, which is a crossing of Smeridefka, the local great variety, and Savignon Rose, which is also called Tremina Rot. And this has muscat-like aromas. It is high in alcohol and low in acidity, and this is also found in Frushka Gora. There is another great variety called Bagrina, which is, has uh, pink skins, and this originates from Banat. And the great variety of Bagrina is found in s- southwest Romania, in Timok in eastern Serbia, and Bulgaria. And this is a great variety which needs to be planted near another pollinating variety in order to um, thrive. And these wines are fresh and potentially age-worthy. Then there's Zashinak, which is another local grape variety used for colour in blends and blended with Prokopak and also Vranak, which I discussed in the Bosnian episode, also found in Montenegro, for pretty interesting red wines. It's particularly suited to the continental climate of Serbia. Finally, there's Sedusha, which is an indigenous variety as well, and which was rescued 20 years ago. There are only 150 vines. There are now two and a half thousand. And this is found in the Banastor region, which is in Frushkagora, and a high-yielding variety found in those hillside slopes on the banks of the Danube. And so that is Serbia. Local consumption is mainly domestic, but there's a lot of diversity to Serbian wine, as evidenced by the many different um, local indigenous grape varieties, which produce their own distinctive wines, and the fact that regions are spread all around the country, from the north on the plains on the border with Hungary, going down to the mountains um, by the Danube, and also other regions connected to um, rivers that that flow through Serbia, uh, going further south on the border with Romania, Bulgaria, and then North Macedonia. So a country whose wines still need to be discovered and explored, uh, more exports need to be um, raised in order to allow people to taste these wines. Serbia has been applying for EU entry for many years, but has not been accepted in part because of EU concerns over crime uh, within the country. Still not a fully developed, organised country, as is evidenced by the very fragmented wine industry, but certainly the potential to develop and become a more interesting and become more interesting for wine lovers such as ourselves, particularly looking for wines from unusual grape varieties and un- unknown regions. So lots of history in Serbia, still lots to discover about it, but certainly lots of variety and diversity within the wine-growing regions and the grape varieties. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.